Hi, we're Round the Archives, your local podcast. We make excitement. Hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm Lisa. Welcome to episode 54 of... Round the Archives. Any exciting news from the Round the Archives stables? Uh, Not really, no. no. <laughs> we're carrying on as we are. as before. We are. Uh, we're in another lockdown, we aren't are. we? We are in another lockdown, yes. So, yeah, we can't poke our noses outside, so we've got to do this instead. Yes. But lots of exciting things coming up in this episode, we hope. Mm-hmm. And quite a bit to fit in, so yes. let's not faff about. No. So, first of all, here's Andy and Martin from the A to Z of UK TV drama podcast telling us that... A is for Abeniri. Hello and welcome to an A to Z of TV drama characters. Hello, Andy. Hello. <laughs> this, is a, this is our wild new experiment to try something out. Hence the laughter. <laughs> Hence the laughter, yes. We're not sure this is going to work, but never mind. We'll try it out anyway. Andy, I've got an A for you. Have you? I've got quite the A for you. Have you? I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. I'm going to go with Abinary. That's how I would say it. Or is it Abinary? <laughs> it's definitely not Abinary. Really, abinary. Please, not ne- abinary. please never say Abinary again. Never say Abinary again. <laughs> I've just said it again. <laughs> um, John Abinary. Yes. And what does John Abinari mean to you as a television character actor? Um, first and foremost, he means bloody old stick-in-the-mud, horrible Hubert Goss in Survivors. <laughs> ah. Did you know his, his second film credit was in a film called The Survivors? Oh, I didn't know that. It's just I just thought that was an interesting, interesting career thing. Yeah. It just popped up on his IMDb list, which I, happens to be... IMDb. <laughs> It happens to be in front of me. The IMDb is in front of me. Can you see? Have you been drinking? <laughs> oh, if only. If only I could blame it on that. No. But uh, John Abinari, one of those characters, he had a what, ne- nearly 40, 45 year career. Good old long career. Just, yeah. just about everything. One of those familiar faces, possibly one of those familiar voices for people. And we just thought it might be nice to, well, I thought it might be nice for us to talk about Someone with who's an actor who we might all know about a bit. So what's so, what's the credit you think of? The credit I think of is probably Herm the Hunter, ah. which is deeply unfair because that's so late in his career. Rob, Rob, Rob. yeah, it's the hooded man. But it's the voice you see. I think yes. it's the voice because it's it, it's not it's not really a it's not really you know you obviously it's him. Yes, but I, I kind of mostly I remember it as this spectral figure. Making these pronouncements, and it's obviously because he had that that kind of voice that, uh, that people sort of found appealing. Or you know, it's, it's there are those actors, aren't there, from from that sort of era who had sort of would you say radio voices or or, or projection voices or theatre voices? But they seem to they seem to find a nice little niche for themselves doing stuff that was mostly voice work. You know? Yeah, I mean, he's such a good example of a character actor, isn't he? 
Mm, and Spot, Spotlight used to have it divided into slightly regular actors, and then there were character actors, uh, <laughs> special yes. actors, and some of the people in the... actors you don't want on your post. Yes, and sometimes you'd see these people in this section, and they did look a bit potato faced. I have to be honest, and you could, <laughs> you could see why they're in the character section. Poor Whitson Jones. <laughs> Yes. Why did that come to mind? Why did that come to <laughs> mind? That's very so rude. Do you actually think that we don't have that kind of variety of um, character actor anymore? I just don't think it's the same sort of distinction. I think that no. was it was used. It used to be you were told, I think, as an actor, or um, whether you were going to be a character actor or or you could go for a lead, or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone's had everyone's had work done these days, and all have perfect teeth. Well, they all look beautiful, and they've all got their... Well, I was going to say, in, in the spotlight thing that always used to make me laugh, the more recent ones, is the guys never have any mm. tops on. And they've got their shoulders, <laughs> but I always think, yeah, okay, but surely not every part is sexualised in that way. But honestly, it just makes me laugh. Makes me laugh! Mm. Aye. So, so Survivors. Could you, yeah, you hesitate to mention it again, but you've written a book. <laughs> oh, my God. How boring is he in his books? Um, I no, did, no, no, it's fascinating. The anecdote... It's, it's just, it makes it difficult for me to sort of go, I shall pronounce upon this when I'm here. <laughs> you know all the facts. You have them at your fingertips. Your very fingertips. The John Abenary anecdote, which I should tell you about, is that when he arrived on Survivors, he was a different man to the one he left Survivors on. Survivors right. changed his life. <gasps> Good Lord. He did. Did he go and start growing potatoes? Absolutely. Totally. The whole cliche, wow. the whole thing. And it was the time of the good life and out of survival. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. basically he fell in love with Cherry, who Cherry David, who was the wife of the main guy who ran the commune where survival was filmed in series two on Callow Hill near Monmouth. And he fell in love with her and it was very free and easy up there. It wasn't like he took her away from her husband because it wasn't like that. They're all a bit. It was a bit (laughs) commune. So it wasn't just actors. (laughs) So um, I think the actors fitted in very well. But um, mm. the interesting thing about Cherry is that she was based, mm. uh, that Pet was based on Cherry. If you remember the character okay. Pet Simpson played by mm-hmm. the wonderful Lorna Lewis. So sort of very free, sort of earth mothery, matriarchy sort of character. But anyway, they okay. fell in love. Um, oh. They had an affair during Survivors. And after Survivors, he was never the same again. And he kind of went all, all earthy and organic and hippie-esque. And June Hudson told me a story about how she once met him in BBC TV Centre reception. And he mm-hmm. just looked like a sort of like he'd gone completely rogue. He looked like a, I don't know what. what was, it, was he by any chance covered in green paint at this point? <laughs> no, I don't think it was while he was making Power of Crop. But <laughs> certainly he was like in, in like a leather jerkin and sort of like mm. in roughed up boots and, you know, man mm. of the land, but also hippie-esque. And oh. that was his... His life after that, because he he stayed and mm. he he actually lived um, on at the commune after that. Okay. I don't think he believed, lived there all the time, but certainly a lot of the time. And right. when I was up there um, doing some location hunting, like sad fans do, mm. we met some. I think it was Cherry's daughter, and she said, "Oh, I bet you want to know all about John and all that went on." And I said, "Actually, my book's not kind of like that." I'm more interested mm. in the production, so I, so I actually <laughs> passed on all these salacious stories. Whoa, the tabloid version of Survivor. Yes, I was like, no, I'm not here for that. <laughs> the National Enquirer. <laughs> yes, Survivors. Survivors. All the sex. All <laughs> the cocaine. Oh, in italic typefaces. Yes. 
Yes, so. we don't want that. <laughs> Good Lord, we're not we're not that kind of folk. We'll 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 let you tell us that now. No. <laughs> so yeah, quite quite an astonishingly long career. Um, four roles that uh, our listeners might be interested in uh, in Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Although we don't <laughs> what we don't like to define people by about their career, but but Fury from the Deep has finally joined <laughs> joined the comic book. <laughs> he's not my favourite credit in Fury from the Deep my favourite credit in Fury from the Deep as everyone knows is Deborah Watling's stunt double (laughs) (laughs) played by Sarah Leesmore Martin Leesmore's wife anyway sorry that was naughty of me no it's fine but uh, but, but famously Van Lutyens yes Van Lutyens has a crypt somewhere I believe oh Um, does he no, it's the Lutrian's crypt. Oh, but there we go. Don't, we don't talk about that. Oh, okay. or, 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 bit of architecture O-level there, mate. Oh, wow. But, yeah, but uh, Van Lutrian, of course, uh, nowadays you couldn't possibly cast a... <laughs> you would have... No, well, that's not true, is it? Because we, they make Van der Velt with, with, with English actors, so... Yeah, sadly. You know. But you kind of you kind of feel that in 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 because he had he had he played a lot of foreign parts, didn't he? He did, including him. ones that unfortunately we can't avoid talking about. Mm-hmm. Um which uh, Last of the Mohicans and mm. Hawkeye the Pathfinder, in which he played mm. a Native American, mm. um, and he got an Emmy. Tingachgook, he was very good. Mm. I haven't seen Hawkeye. I've seen Last of the Mohicans, mm. and he's very, mm. very good. Not as good as Philip Maddock. Mm. Philip Maddock steals it, but yeah, but it's as the as the Maddock will. Yes, as what was his character name? Ooh, oh, can't remember. He was good, but yeah, the mm. very good, but. Impossible mm. to watch now. You can't really. Wouldn't have been Hawkeye, would it? No, no. Hawkeye's the no. played by Kenneth Ives, I think. Right. The director. Okay. So they actually shared credits in that and the Power of Kroll. Oh, Philip Maddock. Oh, Philip Maddock. Yes. Philip Sorry. Maddock. Yes. And John Abinari. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello, hello again, John. Oh, I've hello got again, it. Phil. Philip Maddock was Magua, and he was the, ah. the evil one who just killed people. I think he kills ah. Patricia Maynard in that. It's quite horrible. Oh. Well, Tr- Troughton wanted this job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that deserved a bit of an applause there. <laughs> mm, anyway, yes, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard watch now because you think, no, this is wrong. It's of its mm. time, but it's just like, you can't do blackface. Sorry, no. But like say, M- Emmy, nevertheless. Gosh, you know? yes. So uh, the Survivors thing, he kind of comes in in the third series, doesn't he? Second. second, first episode of the second series. He's in series two and three. Oh, I thought I thought he was. I thought he did the Dennis Lil thing of doing a one-off part and then coming back. No, no, no. He's in. Oh, he's no, he's... in throughout series two. He's the thorn in the side of the White Cross community in series oh, two, and he's a right it's a, bloody I pain to rewatch. Right. Yes. Right. Is he basically the replacement for Tafrin? Tafrin. Yes. Tafrin. He, he is. Yeah. And you basically need you need you need a common. Yes, a common. you've got to have a common villain in Survivors. <laughs> you can't, I mean, there's a lot of middle class people who are nasty in Survivors, but he's mm. common, and yeah, it's it's not a good class message, really. It is kind of peculiar how how, how I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but but Survivors, the poshos are always running things. <laughs> indeed, indeed. An actor who he kind of makes me think of a bit is is mm. Ron Pember. And I don't hmm. quite know why. Um, I think maybe it's just because they appear together in Secret Army in um, in the episode yes. Prisoner of War, oh. uh, when he plays Bertrand Lecoq. And I think they're very similar characters in that. 
to the extent that I almost forget he was in it. But he does have quite a range, and he sometimes gets bumped off early because I mean he can he can play posh as well as yes. you know right right common you know and, and commanding you know I mean uh, for for the Doctor Who fans he of course does uh, Ambassadors of Death yes. which is possibly possibly where he's mo- I mean I don't I don't think if you if you're thinking oh I can't picture his face the green guy in Power of Crawl isn't really the place to go <laughs> Rankin Rankin I think you mean <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah well General Carrington. <laughs> General Carrington probably think, oh, that's what he looks. Yes, like. uh, but he has that weird thing, doesn't he, in Death to the Daleks, where he turns up for—is it episode one only—and he gets killed. Well, there are, there are some. It's so early. Who's the um? Oh, Harry Taub, who keeps turning up for one episode and getting bumped yeah. off. It's like you know, you think Harry Taub should have had a major part, and every single time he turns up, he does the first episode, and then he's down the pub or whatever. You know, it's, he's, he's you know, it's kind of it's odd. It is. They'll they'll accept these parts sometimes and really be bumped off almost before... Well, the end of part one. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a meaty role. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's kind of a kind of a peculiar career. It did a lot of stage. Yes. Did a lot of stage, and of course, oh yes, here we go in the trivia. Having an Austrian father, he spoke fluent German and thus landed many parts on the other side. Oh. Mm. We know what the other side is, don't we? Yes. Yes, ITV. <laughs> 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 that's that old that's that old goodies joke, isn't it? The yeah. The the credit that I think is really weird is um there's a very good series. Well, actually, it's it's not great. Um, I did it for around the archives actually, Maelstrom, and he appears oh, yes. in that, but he's literally in two tiny scenes. And the other person who's in two mm. tiny scenes is none other than Lorna Lewis from Survivors. And they have these tiny parts, and yet they flew them all the way over to Norway mm. for no good reason. Um, mm. just for these tiny little roles, he plays the owner of a fish factory, <laughs> a herring factory. You couldn't get more Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> he's called Olaf Tunheim, and it's just—it's so funny that he's just there for a few minutes. I'm—I'm—I'm mm, I'm, I'm so Norwegian. Yes, exactly. Do you want to want to cop a whiff of my herring? <laughs> sit, sitting there in the dark evenings, knitting their own massive jumpers. <laughs> yes, that, that's me. all they do. That's all they do. And of course, famously or infamously, took over from Duncan Lamont in uh, Hostage. Yes. He did because was Duncan Lamont? Did Duncan Lamont die at that point? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Basically, yes. Duncan Lamont, who who is also in Death of the Daleks, uh, yeah. killed over. And Secret Army series two, and, which is uh, why my mind's getting mixed mm-hmm. up here. Okay. See, everything's connected. These character actors, they literally yeah. would come in, do a couple of days. And as gone. well as being in the potato based section of, of, of Spotlight. Well, I mean, you know, if you're going to grow potatoes, you might as well. But 161 television Gosh. credits. So people will will recognise him from I would stuff. I hope so. That's the beauty of it. You know, he's in lots of things. I just felt he even does Emmerdale. Look, it started raining again. Look at that. <laughs> Obviously, obviously, I've not said the right things no. about John. He's he's coming back and going, no, 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 I'm being cursed by, by the... Uh, You've already the said about his range. I think it's important to mention, like, that he was Sir George Morton hers in The Moon Stallion, you know, the one with Sarah Sutton, and Colonel mm. Badstock in Flambards. He absolutely had the range, and that's unusual. But then he's a character actor, darling. He can do this stuff. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling down. He even did Second Verdict. What's that? The um, That's the Barlow and Watts oh. thing that... Uh, Andrew and Lisa, uh, what is it they did after the Jack the Ripper series when they looked into true life Gosh. cases, and he's in one of them, presumably as one of the true life cases. <laughs> you have to say it like that. True life cases. True <laughs> life cases. Yes, sensational. Yes, but Legend of Robin Hood. 
Sir Kenneth Neston. Not not a character I remember much from the Robin Hood stories. No, I don't think I've ever seen that. I have it on my shelf, but I've not seen it. You actually sort of scroll down these things and you think, oh yeah, softly, softly, you know, the general hospital. This is all my all the things I used to watch in the day when Zed Carlos, <laughs> you know. Barlow. He, he was obviously on a bungee for, for the Barlow but series. He, he has lots of credits with Michael E. Bryant. Michael E. Bryant loved him, which is why he was mm, in Death right. of the Daleks and Secret Army. But he also cast him in A Tale of Two Cities as Roadmender. I mean, had had he pissed yes. Bryant off? There's a credit. <laughs> he gets three episodes as the Roadbender, though, but he's not named. No. Uh, <laughs> bit of a thin yeah. script this week. <laughs> well, so what am I, darling, this week? Michael looking down down the floor, trying to try not to get his eye on. Yeah, Roadmender. I don't even I don't even like the smell of tarmac. I'll have you know. <laughs> Anyway, I feel that was a very wow. thorough explanation, exploration of Avenari. <laughs> well, we just no, thought we'd try we it. What say is the sons of Avenari. The son, there are, well, there are four. No, there are four children, aren't there? There's, um, there's a jasmine, so it's the not all sons. <laughs> we never... <laughs> very sexist of you, are you sure? Um, <laughs> well, possibly not. You have Sebastian, don't you? Sa- Sebastian and Daniel are the ones I know. Sebastian. Yeah, The actors, yes. And Jasmine and Robert probably went off to do something else. Well, I think that they were the the progeny of the commune lady. I think Sebastian and Daniel were first married, oh. and then their commune progeny. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Oh. Commune progeny. No, no. The, the <laughs> offspring <laughs> of, of mushroom eating. <laughs> they are the children of survivors. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Yay. Dun, 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 dun. There is hope. There is hope after there all. There is a, there is a hope. birth of a hope. Andy, there is hope. In fact. There is hope. Birth yeah. of a hope. So, John Frederick Abinari, 18th of May 1928 to 29th of June 2000, age 72. And we miss him terribly, but we we're very grateful he was there. Thank you very much to Andy and Martin for yes, that. Yes, thank you, boys. It's a very interesting article. Well, they, of course, can be found all over the internet, yes, can't they? With, indeed. Uh, Andy's own podcast, mm-hmm. which is World Enough and Time, looking yes. at Doctor Who. Andy and Martin working together on an A to Z of UK TV drama. Yes. And Martin now has his own show, he Vision does. on Sound, yeah. on Fab Radio FM. Every Sunday, 7pm. Yes, and that's also available as a podcast. Mm -hmm. And he also turns up on the Shy Life podcast as well. He does, he's all over the place. So, yes, lots of Martin for your money. Mm -hmm. Now, well, we've done Abeniri, Mm -hmm. so why don't we look at a show he's known for? Yes. As we take a look at... Robin of Sherwood. Oh, my God. 
Good afternoon, Lisa. Good afternoon, Andrew. So we've we've had a dose of Robin Hood this yes. afternoon. Oh, Robin of Sherwood. Well, what, Robin of Sherwood. That's the but thing. it is Robin Hood, yes. Yes. And is this the definitive version of Robin Hood, do you think? I think it's one of the best versions of Robin Hood. Yeah. It's certainly the version of Robin Hood that every version of Robin Hood since has based their story on. Mm. Because in this, obviously, you get Nazir, who's a Saracen. Yeah. And every version of Robin Hood after this has a Saracen character. Yeah. Every version. Okay. So, you know, Richard Carpenter could lawfully claim that all versions of Robin Hood... Have nicked off of him. Have nicked off of him from this point onwards, yeah. But did you watch it when it was on? Because it's 1984 to 1986. Yes. And I will fully admit I don't think I watched any of it. Right. For interesting reasons. Mm -hmm. Because I saw it at the time as being very much a rival to Doctor Who. Yeah. Like the A-team was always Mm -hmm. being sort of shown as. And the fact you've got a young, attractive male lead really wasn't what I was, you yeah. know, watching TV for, mm-hmm. you know. I saw the Doctor as a, a sort of eccentric intellectual <laughs> and, and Robin Hood was a bit too clean-cut and pretty for me, I right. think. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, if, if if I wasn't a success with the girls, then he shouldn't be either, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly saw the third series mm-hmm. with Jason Connery in. I possibly saw the second series. I'm not sure I saw the first series. Yeah. Because, again, as with Doctor Who, uh, the, not at this point, but from the next series, from Colin Baker's first series, when it goes back to being on Saturdays, we visited my gran yeah. on a Saturday, and I wasn't allowed to really watch anything. And if I did watch anything, it would have been in black and white. Okay. Because she had a black and white television. With flat lemonade. With she? flat lemonade. No, she had flat Coke. Oh, flat Coke. Yeah. Right. So I don't think I did see it. I don't know if I saw the next series because I mean, when like in I was twelve in nineteen eighty four, there was no way I would have been allowed to not go. But I think maybe by eighty five, eighty six, I was that little bit older and I was allowed to have a little bit more freedom and I was allowed not to go yeah. if I didn't want to. Well, when when it was on in eighty four, it was April, so you would have been eleven, wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah. Actually, in yeah. fact, yeah. yes. So I definitely wouldn't have been allowed to stay at home on my own. But as as we said, it's Richard Carpenter. Yes. Behind it. Mm-hmm. And then Paul Knight and Ian Sharp. Yes. As Patrick the... Drongooley. <laughs> or whoever you say it. Because it, yeah. it's HTV. Yes. And HTV have got a long and noble mm-hmm. history of, mm-hmm. I don't want to say pagan stuff, but, no. but slightly weird West slightly Country stuff. Weird mystical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I think, one of the selling points for this series yeah. for me because if it was just straight down the line adventure stuff mm-hmm. it would be less interesting yes but the, the the opening episode is robin hood and the sorcerer which yes. is in two parts it is it's quite an obvious episode title really yeah but i i guess it tells you you know it sets up the stall doesn't yes. it though you did say should it really be called robin hood and the sorcerer because the sorcerer of the title is um, Simon de Belém, played yeah. by Anthony Valentine, and he doesn't really feature heavily until episode two, to part two. So should part one be called something else? Yeah, or Robin and Hearn or something yeah. like that. Yeah, don't know. But, uh, but yeah, the, the sort of mystical side of it is covered, first of all, by John Abenary. Yes. Of course. Yes. Which, and we should say that Andy and Martin's article inspired, yes, us, inspired to do, us to do this. To do this. Inspired this long over, overlook at Robin of Sherwood because it is a series we should have looked at a long time ago. Yeah. 
long overlooked version. But you've got Anthony Valentine as the sorcerer. Yes. I mean, he's got, Anthony Valentine, at this point in his career, mm. has mostly played, apart from Raffles, who is not a complete good guy, he, he's mostly played bad guys. Yeah. He's got that kind of look that lends itself to the villain. So, But he clearly has some sort of power. Because yes. he can make like sort of wind happen, if yeah. you'll pardon the expression, <laughs> and he'll set Robin's bow on fire, and then he does this thing, waving this sort of dagger about, scimitar thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. which causes damage at a distance. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which, which is interesting. Um, yeah. I think the logic behind it. Certainly, um, I've been reading the first volume of Hooded Man by Andrew Autumn, which is Milk's excellent um, two book look at Robin of Sherwood, and in that. The, his logic is that these things happen because people believe they happen. Yeah. Because they don't know about science, if anything unexpected happens, they believe it's magic. And mm-hmm. because they believe it, it happens. Okay. So, because I, I think Wishing Carpenter was at this point, because this series, actually, this is the only point in the first series where you get the magic. Yeah. For the rest of the series, it's pretty much straight action with a little bit of mysticism with her. Yeah. In the second series, you get the. Um, Swords of Wayland, which is the sort of devil worshipping nuns. Yeah, it's Rula Lenska and her her naughty ladies. So, and then in the third series, you get Richard O'Brien as a sort of, not sorcery, a weird sorcerer. Yeah. But in the way that only Richard O'Brien can play it. But it's obvious to me how much um, the Doctor Who story. Uh, robot of Sherwood has has drawn from this first episode, yeah, would, Espe- especially with the with the arrow shooting yes. scene. Yeah. I would also say that that particular scene mm. in the story has been done in every version of Robin Hood. Oh ever, yes, even the Disney version where he's a fox. Yeah, but you you can tell that Mark Gatiss is drawing on yes. on Robin of Sherwood here. Yeah. Well, he is with the Sheriff of Nottingham a bit because mm. the way the Sheriff of Nottingham is played because. Nicholas Graves plays him as slightly unhinged. Yeah. Um, something which Alan Rickman later copies in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, to, he's definitely the best part in the film, Alan Rickman. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, in Robot of Sherwood, he gets um, Ben, whatever his name is, to slightly overplay it. Are we sli- I, I think he might have seen it when he was younger, actually, and, and basically be, be basing his performance on Nicholas Graves. Ben Miller. Ben Miller, yes. We need to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> But it's also funny that Robin turns up in disguise as an old man. Yeah. And Anthony Valentine, when he's playing Raffles, yes. he does exactly this sort of thing. And I, mm. I, I sort of want, want him to go, well, I've done that sort of thing before. He is not an old man. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's talk about John Abeneri with his horns. Yes. Living down Walkie Hole some of the time. Yeah. That's where they go off to have their meetings, have isn't ducking, it? Wouldn't yeah. Take his hat off. Mm. Oh yeah, that really that really low bit yeah. in Wookie Hole. Even I can't get through that that bending. Yeah, that God, sorry. yeah, yeah. That is low. And I am short. Uh, and it, and it's all it's all lovely and it's yes. all lit very nicely. Yeah. And the, the trouble is, I can't help thinking that when John Abenary's there, round the corner, there's a load of like cave age cheeses <laughs> yes. and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a little too familiar with Wookie Hole, mm-hmm. you know. But it does make great use of its locations it does. doesn't it yeah yeah the, the mm-hmm. whole sort of foresty stuff mm-hmm. it's beautifully shot like they usually it's usually framed with greenery in front of the camera and then mm. sort of pulling back to show 
So it makes it look very lush and, and very inviting. I feel that it wouldn't be that comfortable. The, there is, wasn't the, the, the case that the, the recce they did to start with. Yes. There was a lot less greenery. Yeah, they did then... the recce in sort of February. And when they went back, he was like, Ian Sharp, who is the director for the whole of series one, went, mm. oh, God, where, where, where? There's leaves There's everywhere. There's leaves everywhere. I don't know where I was going to film it. <laughs> But how do you think um, Michael Parade works as as Robin? I think he's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's possibly slightly too well spoken hmm. for because he's meant to be. Well, I think the idea is that his his father, who is killed in the first few minutes of the episode, hmm. is sort of minor minor nobleman. Yeah. Um, Doesn't Michael Parade do his voice? He does do his voice because yeah. apparently the actor, the, the actor who plays him, who is also the st- his yeah. stunt double, had a broad West Country accent, and I think they went, "Oh, that doesn't really work." You see, I have to object to not having a broad West Country accent. The problem yeah. with that is, I think it's just where it's located. They, I think they just they figure he would be a yeah. local man because he's meant to be a, a very much a class hero, isn't yes. he, for for the working man, yes. isn't he? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, he is a, a little posh. He's a little posh, Michael. Yeah. yeah, it works better in series three because obviously the second Robin of Sherwood is Robert of Huntingdon, and, mm. he's and a he Neville is posh. Yeah, yeah. So it, well, it's okay, but yeah, Michael Prade is possibly he could have possibly played it a little bit more common. Yeah, but he's he's twenty two when he takes on the part. It's you yeah. know it's his first big break, so because we have to think about the sort of whole historical period here, yeah, and and the Norman conquest and yes. the aftermath of mm-hmm. that. Which because, we're still feeling 124 yeah, years after. Yeah, that's that's the thing because they they do talk about Hastings. Yes, and we've been watching Enemy at the Door as well, we have. haven't we? Yes. And I'm starting to sort of think of the parallels here yeah. in that you know England at very mu- at this point is very much an occupied country, isn't it? It is, it, and and it's the fact that it's been occupied occupied for that amount of time. Mm just doesn't make it any easier for people yeah um i mean the normans basically can do what they want when they want to who they want you know as he says if they'll knock down a village just so that um prince john can can hunt yeah yeah because i mean we we open with much yes. having shot a deer yes. and that's that's you know yeah, it's all much's fault <laughs> that that really gets you into trouble with it these does. times it doesn't it hand chopped off. yeah but yeah i mean we we can also draw parallels with Blake Seven as well, yeah. can't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, Blake Seven is—I uh, think it's been acknowledged—is is sort of influenced by, by, yeah. by sort of the Robin Hood thing, because you've got the whole band of yeah. merry, men. merry men. They're not that merry, no, are they? No, and they were known as the Merrys, the group. Yeah. But yeah, and one lady. Yeah, and, and a, a lady. <laughs> we'll talk about it in a minute. But yeah, Ray Winston as Will Scarlet, for yes. example, is really, really good isn't he in that he part is. Yeah. he is because will scarlet in previous versions has always been this sort of slightly dandyish character mm. and Will's, um, he's just angry scarlet, he's just angry yeah. and ray winston there is nobody better at uh, angry than ray winston yeah and he's got grounds to be angry because his wife's been raped and murdered by soldiers so he's angry at everybody yeah i mean there's some strong themes for what is Family entertainment, yeah, I guess. Considering this was shown at, at six o'clock, yeah, there's a lot of usage of, of there's some language, there's some language of yeah. swear words, which I'm not sure Mary Whitehouse would have enjoyed. Yeah, but then Clive Mantle mm-hmm. um, as Little John, yes, or John Little, yes, Judy Trot as Maid Marian, yes, 
Uh, how do you think Marion comes across in those first two episodes? She, is she strong enough for you? She's quite strong. I was a little disappointed at the fact that the only reason that she can be captured by um, Baron de Belém's men in the second episode is that she falls over because mm. it's such an obvious thing. But I will let it go because it's woodland and there are lots of places yeah. to trip over. Well, looking at the outtakes, oh, every, God, yes. everybody's on their arse at, at <laughs> some point, aren't they? Yeah. The trouble is, they made it tried to make this first series very historic, well, as, as historically accurate as they could, and they gave all of the of the main outlaws, all of the Marys, boots with leather soles. Yeah. Now, if you've ever worn shoes with leather soles, you'll know it's incredibly difficult just to walk along the street in them. So, trying to walk through a forest that's wet is virtually impossible yeah also michael prague is apparently incredibly short-sighted <laughs> and will just trip over anything <laughs> you've got <laughs> something in common then yes let's talk about phil rose's fry attack yes. as well i really like that scene where he's objecting to their plans for yeah. mm. um, sort of getting marion to uh, anthony mm-hmm. valentine yeah. it, it seems to me he's the only honest person in the room he is yeah yeah and, and I, I, I like that. And he has a very good funny fight scene, he does. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah where he, sort of, he blesses one of the soldiers and then just, when he bows his head, he hits him just, with... Just clonked him. Yeah, with whatever he's got in his hand. Yeah, I mean, the sort of sum-up sum scene at the end, we won't go into too much detail here, mm. also made me laugh when they're firing their arrows, their yes. flaming arrows. Yep. And again, there's lots of good outtakes yes. of all that going wrong. Mm. But Nazir turns up at the end, yes. doesn't he? Mm. And I said... How did it's a great scene, mm. but how did it work? Did he see him doing it? Ran home quickly, got his bow and arrow, and set light to the end of well, it, or I'm, what? I'm assuming he already had his bow and arrow with him, yeah, because he carries it, um, yeah, I, I don't think he does, yeah, so but. and I assume they've got a fire, yeah, which is where they get their flaming arrows from. So he just dips one of his arrows into he the dips fire his and, wick, yeah, that's a good, <laughs> ex- that's a good expression because I notice in this episode. Because he Nazir's got two swords, doesn't mm, he? Yeah. And he's at this. He's, he wears them on his back. And at this point, he's, if you look, the scabbards are crossed. Yeah. Which they stopped doing after an episode or two because he couldn't. He couldn't draw them quick enough. Yeah. Without help to be of any use. So in the end, they just put them side by side so you can just pull them out. Yeah. I'm and doing it, action. Yeah. And you, you, you said that uh, Robin's sword loses his family jewels. If, yes. Again. It's, it's got jewels on it in this first series. I think Michael Prade spent an awful t- lot of time um, skinning his knuckles on them yeah. so they remove them for the second series. But I, I'm interested in how fluid the, the filming is sometimes mm. for this because the whole thing about Nazir is that he's supposed to be he was supposed to be killed off, wasn't he? He was, yes. Yeah, and then, then he isn't. No, no. He basically, um, Mark Ryan knew, I think, Paul Knight. Yeah. Or No, Ian Sharp, I think. And Ian Chuck went to see him and said, oh, I've got this part in this thing I'm doing. Do you want to come along and do it? Because he could do all the fighting. So it saved having to sort of train him too much. And he turns up and he makes such an impact that he, his character name gets changed. He was meant to be Edwin the Archer or Edgar the Archer. I can't remember what he is. And then he becomes Nazir, this Saracen. And he was supposed to be killed off. And then he went, should we keep him? He's really good. And he's quite good looking as well, and apparently certain mem- female members of the crew appreciated him. Okay. So Ian Shutt was like, yeah, we should keep him. And they just persuaded Richard Carpenter, and Richard Carpenter came down and went, oh, yeah, he is good, we will keep him. And the whole thing with the, the man, the old man and Arthur the Rat, yes. who is a very good acting he's a rat. a very good acting rat. Was, was sort of added as well. Yes. How, how did they get out of the, well, the, the sort of 
jail jail. thing at the bottom. Originally, they were going to just have a normal sort of a jail, you know, like a a cell. Yeah. And they were somebody was going to reach out and grab the guard and slam him against the thing. And and somebody said, "Well, you know, of course they would have just had Martha. Stop playing with that. Sorry, Martha's playing with with your end. (laughs) Martha's tagging it. Um, Yeah, they would have just had dungeons. So they drop him in the dungeon. They're like, oh. How do they get How out? How do they get out of it? Nobody's and got a step ladder. And then they said, oh, we'll stand on each other's shoulders, but that, then that means we have to leave somebody behind. And they go, aha, what if there's an old prisoner in there and he just stays there? Because he's got a rat. Because he's got a rat and he can't leave the rat. He can take the rat with him. But he's a he's a bit um, he's been in there a long while and I've never seen a rat find the camera so well as that one. <laughs> what were they waving at I it to make know. it look at the camera like that? It was brilliant, superb. But yeah, I really enjoyed those those two episodes. Yes, and yeah, we we've done some of them at some point. I don't yeah. think we've ever finished the whole series. No, have we, we should we should watch the watch yeah. the whole series. Probably. But we will jump ahead now yes. to. Uh, Jason Connery. Yes. To see how he he is introduced. The new Robin Hood. So we'll be back later. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for helping with that, Lisa. Thank you for helping, Andrew. Well, we'll be back with more of that later. Looking at the second hooded man. Yes. But another big-ish article. Yes. As Paul and Toppy look at... I love Lucy. Hello, Round the Archives people. It's me, Paul. Paul Chandler. Shayeti. Uh, I'm here with uh, Toppy Smelly from, from the Smellcast again. Um, how are you doing, Toppy? Very well. Thanks for having me back. Uh, well, it's always good to be here on uh, uh, Round the Archives, isn't it? I do like their wallpaper. They, they, they have a very, very nice wallpaper and the, the, the coffee's very good. Uh, it's, it's retro and, and yet very today. Yes. Well, this time we're going to be talking about a show that I never really watched until very recently. I'd seen the odd episode, but, um, well, I'm talking about the show I Love Lucy, which is, well, the the first season aired almost uh, 69 years ago. So uh, we're going, we must be, this must be one of the the oldest series that we've covered on around the archives. But uh, um, Toppy, um, you're a lot more familiar with I Love Lucy, aren't you? So <clears throat> this was a show that was in syndication when I was growing up and very young, like, and I really, and I truly, in all seriousness, have memories. I, I must have been three or four, I think three, and there's three morning shows that were on one right after another, 
and it was I Love Lucy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, and um, the Mary, no, not the Mary Tyler, the Dick Van, oh, and Andy Griffith, The Andy Griffith Show. And um, all three of those, I have a distinct memory. So <clears throat> I saw all those I Love Lucy episodes really, really early on. And then, of course, I saw them again and again and again <laughs> because that's how they played it over here. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, um, it went back quite as early as 51. Um, and you know, it's, as far as I'm aware, every single episode exists. Um, and they even found a pilot episode, which I I saw, which um, went missing for a long time and then showed up in about 1990, I think. I remember that, and I've forgotten the story behind that. There there was some story. I don't know what it was, you know, no. why it was considered lost. or. Yeah, I think it was never screened, the pilot episode. It was remade later in the first season, and it ah. was given to one of the actors whose wife... Um, found it after he died, I believe, and then returned it, um, because obviously by then it had become such a uh, phenomenon. But mm-hmm. um, um, I'm just going to give some uh, some basic uh, sort of Wikipedia facts about... <clears throat> All right. Um, before, before you do that, yes. Paul, let me just interject with a nice bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that I Love Lucy was... Uh, uh, well collected and preserved <clears throat> is that uh, um, Desi Lu, the production company, mm-hmm. and the brainchild behind that really was um, Desi Arnaz. Mm-hmm. And um, he was somehow just was very clever about these things. He was a good businessman mm-hmm. and he was willing to innovate. And one of the things he innovated was on the West Coast where they did this in front of a live audience. He said, I want this to be on at the same time on the East Coast. So he made a copy of it right away. He put it on a plane that jetted over to New York so that the East Coast could see the same episode that night at the appropriate time. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, they're... they had multiple copies of it already from the get-go. I really didn't um, know much about the dynamic because there's really four main characters. There's um, Lucy and Desi who are married. Then later their their kid comes along. But then there's, um, uh, well, Vivian Vance and and William Frawley who are, um, uh, what's their character names? Um, Stupid. Right. Um, Viv, wasn't it Vivian? <clears throat> wasn't uh, Vivian known right. as Vivian? Um, there's um, Ethel and Fred. Ethel, Fred. hey, um, we're really good so far. Yeah, Ethel <laughs> and Fred, who who are who are their neighbours? But um, I don't don't think I knew that um, Lucy was like um, how would you describe it? Um, the a bit of an idiot, <laughs> a lovely idiot. Um, she she's often makes lots of really bad decisions and and, and harebrained schemes. I, I don't think I knew that she was that sort of character, but I'm I'm, I'm glad she is. But um, well, I'm, I'm curious if you mean as her character as Lucy on the show or in real life. Oh no, in, in the show. Oh okay. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. <clears throat> 
uh, it's true. Now, um, think of it like this: as you said, they're four main characters, and they they this uh, I Love Lucy was the show that put the sitcom in sitcom. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is they had these lovable characters. And each week they said, let's stick them in this situation. And sitcoms is short for situation comedy. And uh, I Love Lucy perfected it um, to a T. And, um, and they, also, um, they also helped advance. They did not invent it, but they helped invent, advance the th- three-camera uh, method of filming the show um, when it was going live. And, uh, uh, but, but, uh, yeah, they basically had these goofy characters with kind of Desi being the straight man to all of them, really. Look, honey, you know I'll manage to sneak in anyway, so why don't you let me be in it right from the beginning? Come on, Ricky, you'll save yourself a lot of trouble. I'm going to save us all a lot of trouble. I'm going to give orders down at the club that you're not going to be allowed in there for any reason at all. You're not even going to be allowed to get into the building. That'll take care of you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'll just bet you I can get in anyway. You want to lose a little more money, huh? How much would you like to bet? You name it, Buster. Twenty dollars? Not very sure of yourself, are you? Fifty bucks? You got yourself a bet. Okay. Okay. Um, and um, they would get into one nutty situation after another. Ethel's sort of Lucy's sort of partner in crime sometimes. Um, and Fred is sort of Desi's partner in crime sometimes. And sometimes yeah. they pair off in those ways. Um, yeah. A lot of it, um, the, guy, the boys are conspiring against the girls, and then the girls take revenge, and then, you know, hijinks ensue. And <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I also knew how famous it was, but I, I didn't realize that when I watched it, I was going to be, like, crying with laughter. It was so funny. So you mentioned this on <clears throat> uh, a Facebook post, <laughs> and it, it really... Um, like wow uh, that's like that is kind of amazing that and i think you actually said you know how is it that i'm finding something that's 63 or whatever years old and it's the funniest thing i've seen in a long time do you can you like the, the episode that well, made you laugh so much i'll, I'll tell you because I've, I've the episodes i watch on a particular disc so i've got the titles and i'll um when i've when i've shared a few facts um with the listeners i'll I'll tell you the ones, and you'll probably recognise them. But um, yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you the particular the moments. But it was one of those things where you, you kind of it just builds because it builds and builds. You're you're just sort of laughing, and something else comes, and then you're laughing more. And then, mm-hmm. um, well, I think it speaks to uh, the timeless nature of it. It, it was very good natured, just fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of cool to know that it holds up yeah. at least at least as far as making you laugh. Well, I, well, I generally I love female comedians anyway, but I can see how some of my favourites um, from, from the eighties and nineties, like French and Saunders, Victoria Wood, um, British comedians, they see pretty pretty much you know everybody was in some way inspired. Um, uh, you know, I I. 
think it's the the slaps, probably the slapstick stuff, and um, and and the fact that um, it's a woman doing it, uh, and and I think it might be because when I do my own acting and when I play my own versions of my of myself on the shows that I do, I tend to like to be a bit stupider than I hopefully am. Mm. Um, so I kind of kind of. I, I saw I, I, I sort of saw, saw a kindred spirit in Lucy. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> a lot of the funniest, funniest damn moments of the show were very visual and slapstick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it would it would go on, you know, for as long as they could stretch it to to be funny and they always knew when to stop too but but they would they were just hilarious situations and for you know a couple two minutes there wasn't any dialogue they were just doing this thing sometimes um you can they even manage to make them they make each other laugh don't they they get kept in you see a smirk you think yeah that's not a scripted smirk that's Mm -hmm. that's them they cracking cracking each other up or whatever yeah, I I I think their habit was they would film two go throughs, mm. and and they didn't edit them together. To my knowledge, there wasn't time to do that. But they did say which was the best one, and that's mm. what they that's what mm. they went. With. I think I think because mm. it does it does seem quite. Um, I've seen other shows from the fifties, and and a bit or British ones. Um, that that uh, uh, and I'm surprised how sort of uh, I, I thought there must be some editing involved, or maybe it's the different cameras. Before we go on, um, there were 181 episodes um, between October the 15th, 1951, and May the 6th, 1957. But then there were some sort of one-hour specials in um, sort of from about 57 to 60, um, which, although had a slightly different title, are, are sort of considered part of I Love Lucy because uh, they still had um, Ethel and Fred in. Um, but um, I've also seen, because they have attempted to colorize some episodes, but the, the set, uh, you'll be glad to know, Toppy, that the sets that I was watching uh, were, were the original black and white. And I was surprised how um, clear the, the picture was, because, I, again, I've seen stuff from the 50s from, from the UK, and, and it's pretty muddy and 
um, not half as clear as because because I, I started with the pilot episode and that was a bit you know not as clear and I thought oh, well, I was kind of expecting the the rest of it to be mm-hmm. uh, similar condition but the rest of it was much better. Um, well, let me ask you, Paul, um, because I don't know if it's been restored, but you have a collection. Does it say anything about this is a you know a restored negative no. from a negative or anything? No, I don't think it is. Um, it's a three. It's a. It's got sixteen episodes on, and it's like a. Well, it's a four DVD set, but the um, the first the first three discs are the episodes, and then there's lots of extras. Um, it's quite interesting, sort of extras as well. Um, sort of, sort of supposedly rare stuff. It, it does make me want to kind of. I'm, having enjoyed it so much, I, I think I'm possibly going to wait a while and buy because the whole set's available. I'm, Mm-hmm. You're gonna go out there and buy the whole the whole set, but um, um, so the episodes. Sorry, go um, I just wanted to to mention one other thing before you get into, but we get into specific episodes. Mm-hmm. Is that <clears throat> Lucille Ball had had kind of a long career in the mid '30s all the way through the '40s as kind of a B movie star. She was a very glamorous woman. She looked glamorous on the movie screen, but somehow she never got the big roles. But you can see her in a lot of movies from uh, the mid-30s to through the 40s. And then she did a movie with Desi Arnaz. And Desi Arnaz had made a name for himself first in Cuba as this band leader, drummer, singer, uh, Calypso, which was a very popular form of music at the time. And I'm not sure if they were married when they did this movie, but they did a movie called The Big Long Trailer. Hmm. And it could easily have been a situation comedy in that it could have been an episode of I Love Lucy, except it was a full feature-length movie. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, I think they saw the potential, and I think others from TV saw the potential. These guys would be great in a TV series, and that's Mm -hmm. how it all started. Up until the point I started watching this disc, I only remember watching one random episode which I guess was a famous one, but it's not on this set. It's, it was from about 1955 or 56. There seems to be a series of episodes where Lucy goes to Italy, and it was one where she kept having to run up and down stairs to answer the phone. Um, and, um, yeah, it's not, it's not one that, 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 was, that was on here. And I'm not sure whether I watched it because the friend I was with, I was in America at the time, I was staying with a friend in L.A., and I don't know whether they showed me that one particularly because they liked it or it just happened to be the next one they were watching or it came up on the TV. I can't. Um, yeah, be- because Desi Arnaz in the show is kind of plays himself, a band leader, drummer, singer, performer, nightclub act. He travels to do his act. And, you know, Lucy always begs to come along. And they would travel to different countries and often... If they went to Italy, they would keep the show there in Italy for at least one or two episodes. I wonder if that's what inspired one of the later seasons of Bewitched, because I think one of the later seasons they tra- travelled halfway around Europe and then to various, like, Salem and things like that. Um, I think it was just 
maybe an excuse, but by the last season to give them situation, different situations to put to put um, to put um, Sam um, and Darren in, into. So generally, most of the episodes I watched were from the first season, and maybe one or two from the second. Um, and then I jumped right to season six, and I saw an episode where Lucy meets Bob Hope, um, which uh, was it sort of showed that was it was a good indication of how the show had, because although Ricky was in entertainment in the first season, he wasn't hanging out with famous people. But by the sixth season, there are more famous names and more famous guest stars, probably because the show was popular. And, and yeah. because Ricky had moved up in his career, um, uh, it was more because the show was successful and TV and movie stars were willing yeah. to come on because it was sort of a thing to do and it was fun, and they had a lot of that. Uh, I mean, I, I only remember two offhand: Christopher Reeve, who came on as Superman, and John Wayne, but there were many others. Yeah, I mean, by that point in the show. It probably benefited from those, you know, those famous faces. But certainly in the early seasons, there's no need for any, any of that. And and um, so some of the ones I watched, uh, other than the pilot, there was one called The Diet, where Lucy wants to be one of Ricky's show, but um, he says that she's too she's too big to be in the show. So she tries to lose weight. But then there's this scene. This is the first scene that really made me cry laughing was where she ends up under the table, the dog's begging for things, and she's fighting the dog for, for like, pork <laughs> chop or something. <laughs> oh, my God. Absolutely dog, hysterical. And the dog is, like, <laughs> the, the dog's acting really well. Um, and she's, she's doing the, 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 she's begging, and they don't, uh, it's just, and, and there's another scene in the episode that, that made me absolutely laugh, because she goes, <laughs> she she gets well the first time before she she goes on the diet she goes to the audition with all these girls who are about uh, in their 20s because i think um i think i did my sums and i think in the first season lucille ball was in her late 30s i think so she she's about 15 years older than the people who are auditioning um so she kind of looks and sees how they're dressed and she kind of changes her her dress and pulls her skirt up a bit um and then tries to mimic their movements, but 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 she just she can't she doesn't manage it. But it's funny um, seeing her trying to mimic their dancing. Um, mm-hmm. And then she goes and puts on the costume that they were supposed to wear, and she comes out, and she, and it's so tight that. that <laughs> um, and it's all yeah, as you say, physical comedy. It's just the way she plays it and the facial expressions. Um, the, the, another one I saw was Lucy thinks Ricky is trying to murder her. She's reading a, a, a thriller and um, she gets into her head that Ricky wants to kill her. Um, <laughs> and and that, that's, uh, that's <laughs> very ridiculous. But the one on this set that follows that from the same series is called The Quiz Show. And Lucy's having trouble make, meeting the bills because Ricky presumably gives her lots of gives her money towards bills but some way or another she doesn't make ends meet so um ethel suggests that she goes on this quiz uh game and it's and it's where it it starts off where she has to wear a sou'wester and every time 
uh, the word C comes up, she gets squirted in the face with this um, soda siphon. <laughs> um, and that's just, you know, you can imagine it's just um, very, very good source of, of, of humour. But there's so many layers of plot in this episode that, that are just brilliant. You can just see it coming in. It's, so the, this show that she's on, they, um, they, they want her to go home and see her husband and have this, this other man from the show who's going to turn up and say that, that he's her first husband and she has to play along with it until midnight and then she'll win the £1,000. So she agrees to do that. But then there's this tramp wandering around the neighbourhood and Ethel tries to shoo him away, but he ends up getting in the house and when knocks on Lucy's door, Lucy thinks it's the person who's going to be pretending to be her husband. So so she kind of goes, oh, here's my first husband. And he's mm-hmm. meanwhile, and he just plays along. And um, and then, of course, um, you know, he's stealing bits and pieces from, from the house, stealing bananas, stealing... Mm-hmm. Um, and and then they get rid of him. And then the other man turns... Turn, turns up it's 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 just sort of lots of misunderstanding and just so many humorous situations on on humorous situations and and mm-hmm. you know with a less with a lesser um set of actors it probably wouldn't be half as funny as it is well lucy turned out to be kind of something of a comic genius mm. and they realized it really early on and and then it was just like Everything was gold. Everything they touched was gold. So uh, a lot of the plots revolved around Lucy trying to outwit or get something from Ricky. Yeah. Um, whether it was tickets to a show, whether it was just something he didn't want her to have, and she would say, "Well, that's not, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this anyways, and I'm gonna do this." And then eventually, Ricky on the sly would find out about it, and then he would end up making her look foolish because he can't, he was in on the plot by then and he would make her do crazy nutty things just to make a fool out of her um, and she would be oblivious that Ricky knows anything so that was a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of the shows was that uh, and um, there were two, two others that I saw that were a little bit different from that format one was called Men Are Messy, and where basically um, it starts with this great no, no no dialogue. So you see Lucy sort of having cleared the living room, done all housework. She goes into the kitchen. Ricky comes home from work, and in the space of about two minutes, takes his coat off, throws his tie down, sits down, um, opens the paper, drops stuff on the floor, starts cracking nuts, chucks them over his shoulder. And in the space of these two or three minutes, from the living room has gone from being pristine to being like a pigsty and Lucy just says right if you're going to live like this then we're going to divide the house down the middle yes um, I, I remember that clearly and that that's an example of like this hysterical two minute scene of Ricky just yeah. doing these things and Lucy just looking at him and then you know kind of kind of looking at the audience too or mugging to the camera they used to call it and it's just hysterical uh, and, and there was another one where she was asked to make matchmake for this elderly lady who lived in the house who um um like this late this guy who was like who like worked at a, a general store and then he he misunderstands and thinks that lucy fancies her uh, fancies him 
and then so Lucy then sort of thinks I've got to I've got to make myself so unappealing that he doesn't want to go out with me and then he then he'll go back out with the, the lady who does like him and um so she kind of makes herself she turns up in her worst clothes mm. and she cooks all this she cooks all this food but it's really <laughs> bad and she makes him drink tomato like tomatoes out of a tin with the lid still on it and, mm-hmm. and and then does soup and it's really horrible and steak and she brings the steak in and it's flaming it's like totally on fire um and and but he still says oh lo- i still love you lucy and and um but he she knows that he doesn't like kids so he's so she's got all these kid neighboring kids to turn up and pretending that they're they're hers and she's got about 24 of them uh, and he's still he's, <laughs> he's still dedicated to her but oh and it goes on like that um now uh, to finish with you'll probably recognize these two because i think these are two of the most famous episodes and and one of these is the one that i i, I really had to sort of get a handkerchief and <laughs> mop my eyes i can't and, wait to hear which one well one of them was well i'll do it in reverse order one that's very famous, um, I think it's called Job Switching. It's where they, they swap jo- jobs. The boys stay at home and the girls go out to the factory. And Ricky and Fred totally swamp the kitchen. They're making rice and it billows out of the, the pots everywhere. And and um, um, and then uh, um, Ethel and Lucy go to the factory and they're going to a sweet factory and they're having to... Um, wrap sweets and then on the conveyor belt um, on the conveyor belt the chocolates are going quicker and quicker and they have they start having stuff stick them in their mouths and in their hat under their hats down their bras um and and it's it, it just keeps on going it's one of those scenes where you kind of if that scene went on for two hours you you you'd be you know it almost gets uh, it's almost i find like when there's a song i like and i kind of know there's Maybe they're going to repeat the chorus once more, and then it's going, and then you kind of know in the the, the tone of the, the the singer that the song's about to finish, and you're like, oh, I wish this would go on for another ten minutes. I felt mm-hmm. like that about the, the the conveyor belt scene on that episode of I Love Lucy. I just wanted it to continue for another ten minutes because yeah, you got that, to a point where you knew it was nearly done, but oh, it's perfect. <laughs> um, that's probably. If any moment could be singled out, that episode with the chocolates is is singled out many times as as being a, a good example of why this show is brilliant and why Lucy was brilliant because she knew how to make that funny. In lesser hands, it would have been okay and a few laughs, but she made it hysterical. Absolutely hysterical, and so did uh, yes. uh, Vivian Vance. Yes. I yes. To, to not to, to not ignore her, yes. but together, it's absolutely mm. one of the funniest scenes in the history of television. Now, now the and I think I've seen that. Yeah, it, it, it has still gets voted right up there in sort of comedy moments. But I also think that the next one I'm going to mention also gets similar plaudits, and this is one where I would say that it's all on. Lucille Ball's reaction. Um, it's one called Lucy Does a TV Commercial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, um, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I agree. This is right <laughs> up there, right up there with the, the all-time greats. So, so she has to wangle her way to... Do, uh, does he want somebody to work on a... to do a, um advertisement during one of his shows... And he, he doesn't really want her to do it, but Lucy manages to get in a situation where the person doesn't show up. Um, 
and so she shows up and gets involved in the rehearsal and it's this um, um, sort of wonder tonic called Vitamita it's a very long title yeah Vitamita Vitagen and that was part of the gag was the the ridiculous name of the Uh, uh, it was was a a, we called it snake oil medicine in the United States and it was a bottle of what literally was really nothing more than liquor <laughs> but it was so yeah, it's medicine. got like 23 percent alcohol hello friends i'm your vitamina benjamin girl are you tired run down listless do you poop out at parties <laughs> are you unpopular the answer to all your problems is in this little bottle now you pick up the bottle oh a little higher that's right the answer to all your problems is in this little bottle Vitamita Benjamin. Vitamita Benjamin contains vitamins, meat, vegetables, and minerals. Yes, with Vitamita Benjamin, you can spoon your way to health. <laughs> All you do is take a tablespoonful after every meal. Now you take some. Oh. <laughs> it's so tasty, too. <laughs> So she has this spiel she has to go through and she has to do quite a lot of rehearsals. And, and I didn't even kind of get the obvious twist to start with because just the beginning of the, of the scene, when she drinks the tonic, um, she has to say something like, and it tastes like sweets. And then her facial, it clearly doesn't taste like sweets. It tastes of course, like, it's horrible flavor. It's horrible. It tastes, and she can't help she can't but talk. make a sour expression. But she has yeah. to say the lines, it tastes great. And 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 and, then, and that's just hysterical in itself. But then, when you realise that by about the fifth take, she's now de- drunk, and, and then and so she starts getting very sort of loose with the lines and muddling muddling things up, and and um, so you've got all you've got all that. And then uh, when she actually, by the time she has to she actually has to come to do the commercial, which is going to go out live, she sees uh, Ricky singing, and kind of gets all lovey-dovey and kind of wanders on onto screen and they have to carry her off. Um, but it, it, it's partly the, you know, the, the build-up is so good to that one that, um, you know, it, it has to end the way it, it ends. And that's very funny. But it's the, the middle bit when she's rehearsing that is just hysterical. Yeah, all-time classic. And if you don't think Lucille Ball had to be on her mark to get... The lines right in that dialogue, and she worked her ass off. That's a, that's an example of how hard she worked mm-hmm. for this show, because it, I mean, I, she had to have gone into extra rehearsals for that to make it work. She had to have rehearsed it more times than usual. A lot of work, and she pulls it off like it's just amazing. And it has to be good because you know sometimes that I'm I'm a little bit prejudiced against black and white things over colour sometimes, but um, 
you know that 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 was completely forgotten. So that's that's the extra quality mark on top of everything else is that um, all that was forgot quickly forgotten. Uh, <laughs> um, and and I can see myself sort of um, watching because I, I'd say recently I don't know the last few years I, I have watched less and less comedy. I don't know why. I think I mean because I generally love horrors uh, like horror films or I like things with twists and and and, and generally maybe. Um, comedy hasn't been such a big part of my TV watching, and and yet every time I do watch something that's funny, I, I sort of think, oh well, this is really right for the mo- for the moment, and I'm so glad I've watched it. But no, I love Lucy. It's taken me forty something years to to properly um, sort of study it, and there's mm-hmm. still a lot more. That I have to watch, but um. well, I envy you um, because I, I I can't imagine what it would be like to have not seen any of this and to be watching it now, and I I mean that must just be pure joy. Uh, can I just uh, mention mm. a couple of other episodes, and then I'll mention my the yeah. episode that's always been my favorite. Yeah. Uh, so among the stellar episodes, the the chocolate. Um, uh, conveyor belt and uh, the the vitamite a bit a bit a bit um, those are stellar and one of the other stellar ones was when Lucy and Ethel are making wine in Italy. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. And uh, they they are in a vat of grapes at, <laughs> in the very old fashioned way in their bare feet um, walking around smashing grapes. That's another one that's just i mean the 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 physical comedic talents of lucille ball is is right there uh but here's uh my absolute favorite episode of all time uh they're all coming back from overseas i don't know where they were this time uh it may have been italy and lucy is it's before they get on the, the the jet to go home or whatever they rode in those days. Maybe it was just a plane. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think it was a propeller plane. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, they're in like um, what do you call uh, the areas where you buy things without uh, duty free? Oh, duty free, yeah. right? I think it was that kind of thing. And Lucy sees this gigantic salami. I mean, it is the size of a loaf of bread. And for some reason, she has to have it. I don't remember why. And Vivian, you know, is like, oh, come on. That's ridiculous. How are we going to get it? Maybe it it wasn't purchased duty-free. Maybe they they ended up having to make it a secret, probably because they didn't want Ricky to know. Mm. And and Ricky and, and Ed were seated somewhere else. They weren't seated near... Uh, Ethel and Lucy. And so uh, Vivian says, well, how are you going to get this on the plane? I I guess without being taxed or something. And Lucy says she gets this idea to swaddle it like a baby. <laughs> All right. So she, she takes a seat with the swaddled salami. And uh, the other ladies around her, of course, are very curious because all ladies like babies and they want to see and they and, you know, um, and, and, and and so it's all going swimmingly until one of the neighbor ladies says, well, 
I notice you haven't fed the poor thing. Isn't he hungry? <laughs> well, Lucy's never thought about feeding it. So then she's got to go through the motions and pretend to feed the baby, which is a salami, and then put it over her shoulders to burp it. <laughs> well, it is absolutely hysterical. And then the way the story goes, and again, I can't remember the whys and wherefores, is that Lucy decides, i got to get rid of the evidence. Well, where are you going to hide the salami? She says, we've got to eat it. And so for the last part of it is them trying to eat the salami. And it is just so hysterical the way they start getting sick of and their expressions. And then finally, they've done the deed and everything seems okay. And then they're leaving the plane and someone says, where's your baby? That woman had a baby on the plane. Where's your baby? You know, and that's how it ends. And it's it's just that's my favorite episode. Um, I read today, um, and and it was something that happened recently. But I believe on the uh, revived version of Will and Grace, uh, an episode that went out in April 2020. They recreated, I don't remember which characters, but they re, they recreated the candy scene. And I believe that, um, does, does um, Lucille Ball have a, a daughter called Lucianes or something? She, well, um, she uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Apparently the scene involved her as the supervisor, in the supervisor role. And two of the other Will and Grace characters doing the packing. Um, and, and I think they might have even... For some reason, be dressed like, um, like Lucy and Ethel, but uh, I'd have to see it. But as far as it just shows somebody on Will and Grace, it's clear, well that makes sense because, um, you know, there's a lot of I think from what I remember, Will and Grace is quite a lot of physical comedy, and uh, I imagine that there must be quite a few people on that show who are fans of I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, but- there, are, there are lots of television series that paid homage uh, to I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. The reason is is that. The people making these TV shows and the actors in them knew that Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and the I Love Lucy show had so much to do with creating the sitcom as we know it even today, although it's changed a little. I mean, The Office is nothing like a sitcom uh, from the 70s, let alone I Love Lucy. So there's there's been changes. Um, mm-hmm. But, but um, yes, I, just offhand, I, I remember, first of all, there, there was a half-hour sitcom called Laverne and Shirley. Mm-hmm. It was two women. And they that show owed a lot to all the nutty things Lucy and Ethel did. Mm-hmm. And uh, they it, <laughs> those two girls tried to do you know, their best, but they were no Lucy and, and Vivian. <laughs> and then I think famously Roseanne um, did an homage, um, uh, probably many other shows. And it's mm. because the, the Lucille Ball was the S. It was the origins. Mm. It was the start. I can't even remember now why we're doing this article as far as what made me buy this Set. I, I don't know how we got here, but I'm very glad we got here. Um, I mean, you already, you've already been there already, but I haven't. And so, yeah, I'm glad that that something somewhere something triggered me off to go and buy this set. Um, and probably... Well, let me ask you this, Paul. Uh, 
Is the reason you never got to it because it just wasn't there in the UK? Um, certainly what wasn't shown a lot around the time that I was watching things like Witch and Get Smart. I'm, I asked my mum, actually. I, I sent her a message and said, did you, do you remember? And she, um, uh, so I think perhaps in the 50s and 60s, it might have been shown in the UK because my mum knew, and she knew the name Des- Desilu Productions and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it must have been on TV, but maybe more in the black and white era, uh, l- less than perhaps in the 70s and 80s when I was watching some of these old shows. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, just a, a, one other brief mention why this showed me television history is that of course, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz became married in real life. Mm-hmm. And at some point on the TV show, um, she became pregnant mm-hmm. and had a baby. And then they hid the fact that she was pregnant from the audience until mm-hmm. she had given birth. And then, after she, after she had given birth, they said, let's have Lucy get pregnant on the show. So all the scenes where you see Lucy becoming pregnant, and this takes place over the course of half a season or something where she's getting ready to have this baby. And, uh, and, and keep in mind at this point, she's already had the baby in real life. Uh, yeah. All that, all that, um, you know, it's all stuffing under the clothes and everything. Um, and then, uh, comes the episode where she has the baby. And that was one of the first nights where, you know, I mean, the ratings were over the top. Like every everyone tuned in to see that episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, honey, where have you been? What took you so long? What do you mean? What took me so long? I had to go all over town. There's only one store in New York City that makes a papaya juice milkshake. <laughs> So one of the most amazing things, when we look back at uh, I Love Lucy, is that it turns out, as so often seems the case, that for the, the creators and the actors, particularly Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, but also Vivian Vance and, and even for them... These were the most, these were the hardest times of their lives. Mm. And it's because as things happen in Hollywood, their marriage went bad right in the damn middle of doing the show. And there they had to go on TV every week and pretend to be this happily married couple. And they weren't happily married, but they did it anyways. They trudged through, they were all champions. And for some reason, that's just important to me because it's just like you just would never know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Vivian Vance and William Crawley famously hated each other <laughs> to within an inch of their lives. And yet you would never have known it by watching. So <laughs> for different reasons, 
this show went on at the most difficult time in the actors' personal lives, and and yet they do their job, and it just seems important to mention. Well, Poppy, thank you very much for sharing your your memories of I Love Lucy, and um, yeah, and I'm very glad that uh, uh, I. Of all the shows I've covered on Around the Archives, mostly they've been favourites that I already knew. Uh, but this is definitely one of those cases where it uh, um, you know, wow. and so I knew, which is old. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was glad to contribute what, what little I know. Um, and also, I'm just so happy uh, just to know that you're enjoying it for the first time. For some reason, that just makes me really happy. <laughs> Well, thanks, Toppy. And um, uh, do you want to plug any shows that you're involved with? Sure. I do a little shoe about movies um, and the trivia behind the movies. And it's called Matinee Minutia. And I do it with my friend DJ Starsage. Um, we stream it live every first and third Friday night of the month. And you can be there in our special chat room to listen to it live and participate um, with all the other people in the chat room. It's pretty fun. And um, you can find out more about it by going over to univazpods.net. And if you want to find the shoes themselves, um, it is a WordPress site. So I believe it's matnamenusha.wordpress.com. And that's the catalog of the shows. And it's available on you know, all the places you find podcasts. <laughs> and then there's also the Smellcast, which we sometimes yes. collaborate on, but it's your show. And, and my show, the Shall Life Podcast, which you collaborate back. So we cross, we cross over a great deal. <laughs> yes, I don't know how that happens, but <laughs> it's it very, very strange. We're, we're like two Lucy, Lucy, Lucy's together, though, aren't we? Or maybe, we're, maybe one of us is Lucy. One of them is not, not for the same comic genius, but maybe, maybe we take turns at being Lucy and Ethel. I'm not sure. You know, that's probably a good way to look at it, taking turns. <laughs> Okie dokie. Bye bye for now. All right. Bye bye. Thank you to Paul and Toppy. Yes, thank you, boys. I don't really know I Love Lucy. Again, no, I know of it. But I don't think I've ever seen an episode. Yeah, Not a full episode. We might have to rectify that. Yeah, possibly. As always, check out Paul and Toppy's work on the Shy Life podcast. Yeah, the Smellcast. And Matinee Minutiae. Yes. I can say that. You can say that. Aren't, aren't I good? Yes. Right, just our wrap-up piece to do now. Mm-hmm. And then we'll say goodbyes at the end of the articles. Mm -hmm. But thank you for listening, everyone. Yes. And we've got to think about episode 55 for December. Yes. And try and get it out before Christmas, haven't we? Yes. So now, Andrew and Lisa continue their look at... Robin of Sherwood.
Good afternoon, Lisa. Good afternoon, Andrew. We now travel to April 1986 for the third season of Robin of Sherwood. Yes, otherwise known as the Robert of Huntington years or the Esther Charcombe years. Yes. Well, Hearn's son is a two-parter kicking off and we also mm-hmm. watch The Power of Albion. Yes, because you don't actually really get... He is Robin Hood at the start, Robin yeah. of Huntington, but he's not revealed to the wider world as Robin Hood until the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So we thought that we'd better watch it to because it sets up the rest of the series. So Richard Carpenter writes the opening episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, we get Anthony Horowitz yes. involved and even uh, Flanagan and McCulloch yes. turn up, don't yes. they? Just purely because this season is 13 episodes. They yeah. realised straight away there was no way... Yeah, he's not doing a Terry Nation. No, he can't write 13 episodes and do all the research yeah. that he, he did on previous seasons. So they get new writers in. So basically, Esther Charcombe gets in touch with lots of writers' agents and said, will you get your, if your writer's interested, would you get your writer to provide a story synopsis for free? Yeah. And then we'll pick the ones that we think will fit. And Anthony Horowitz actually just goes to our office and st- sticks it on her desk yeah. she was like how did you get in here <laughs> but she takes it to paul knight she likes what she sees and i think that was the start of what well, was the start of anthony horowitz's career which has gone on he's gone on to be a really well-known television writer and novel writer flanagan so. and mccullough they don't have like a sort of cactus sitting on their table when they're uh, writing this one do no, they? there's no, no cactuses in no, it that's all right Sorry. but as you say esther charcombs takes over as producer robert mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Knight rather is still around as executive, executive producer, yeah, and story consultant. Yeah. So as. we've covered a lot of ground since the start of the first season. Of course, mm-hmm. we've lost the old Robin Mucklepride. Yes, Robin of Loxley is so he, dead. So he's gone off to do. He's gone dynasty. Off, well, no, he went off to do um, Three Musketeers, right. which lasted for about a week and a half and unfolded, and then he goes off and does as. Dynasty, mm-hmm. and he's, he's gone on to have a relatively successful career. He's not in lots of well-known things, but he pops up here and there. But as you said, there are two Robin Hood legends, yes. so they can use the second one now. Yes, yes. Though there is a theory that the second legend, the Robert of Huntington legend of Robin Hood, is a sort of invention of the 16th century Mm-hmm. When in the Tudor era, when uh, it's all more a bit, you know, because he's a nobleman, yeah, so rather than a peasant. I mean, all of this is quite vague. Yes. Yeah. So you can write what you like, yeah, basically. Basically, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I should point out that Wikipedia is slightly misleading in Hearn's Son parts one and two about who's in which episode. Yes, they've got the got Michael Craig and Daniel Peacock confused. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got you've got a nice bit of George Baker. Yes, we like a bit of George Baker. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even John Abenery gets to do a bit more than yeah. at the start, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, because he gets to do some nice voiceover stuff he does. as well. He does. He, he's, he, he sounded like Falserian to me when he was doing <laughs> the the stuff with the, the with the runes on the sword and all yeah. that. Basically, there's a hole to fill, isn't it? Because yes. everybody's sort of strewn around the country as yeah. as we pick up. Yeah. Basically, what it's doing is where in Robin Hood and the Sorcerer, you get the Merry Men together. Mm-hmm. So you get the various different interpretations of how they join. So you get the Starfire and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. In Her and Son, you get that again, because you do get a Starfire between Little John and the new Robin, or Robert. You also get the thing with Friar Tuck, 
where he had to fight with him and he, he falls in the water and then he pulls yeah. him in and all this sort of stuff. So you're, you're using more of the legends to flesh it out a little bit. Yeah. Marion gets to do a weird candle dance, doesn't she? She does. And I'm thinking she's going to get wax up her sleeve yeah. in a minute. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure, entirely sure that was completely contemporary. Yeah. That might be a little bit later. Yeah. But they they need something to attract Owen of Clan, who is played by Oliver Cotton, who yeah. is the main villain for the first two episodes. Yeah. And he's accompanied by Richard O'Brien, giving yes. a fantastic Gollum-like performance yes. as Golnar is yeah. sort of... Is he a sort of sorcerer? He's a sort of druid slash sorcerer. Yeah. I do wonder how much they were impressed because Gornar pops up into later, more, on, later yeah. on again yeah. in another episode and then in the two part of the finishes the season and whether they did that because he was so good he was yeah. so good or whether they cast Richard O'Brien knowing that they wanted him to come back yeah I don't know I don't know how the it worked but as we sort of left season two mm-hmm. basically everyone was saved by this mysterious hooded figure weren't yes. they yeah yes though not all of it is is Jason Connery no some of it is a stuntman the only the only bits that are Jason Connery are bits where you see his face. Yeah, um, and he has to keep his hood up for the end of episode of series two because his hair is quite short <laughs> at that point because he's not long finished filming um, Vengeance on Varos. Yeah, so his hair is the length. Now, that now on one thing I will say about sort of getting everybody back on board, mm-hmm. Fryer Tuck's quite easy to do. Yes. Well, you, he's all right. You only have to mention Mario and yeah. Fryer Tuck's there, isn't he? So. Yeah, because he, he's off with his fish fishing, yes. isn't he? Not with his fish. Well, he's, he's catching fish. fish. Fishing yeah. for fish. He doesn't have fish. A fishy requisite. <laughs> and, yes, little John and Much have gone off to be shepherds, yes. haven't they? And you said when, they, when they're when sort of persuaded, yeah. um, oh, their sheep are all right, who's well, going to look after them? In the book it says that their sheep were rounding up and taken to another shepherd. Right. So we're going to imagine that happens off screen. Okay. And, yeah, you get a, a rather good staff fight yes shot from underneath. from underneath yeah yeah which is and also it looks like they, they've done something it's very juddery yeah but the frame rate is there, there's yeah. like sort of um sort of echoes and trails picture and, echoes and things yeah. yeah so i was trying to look for the bit where he hit jason connery on the yeah, head yeah th- there is a bit of an accident involved yes. with this isn't there's, there's it? something about staff fights because of course michael Prey gets hit in the rather painful region yeah. in his staff fight yeah. and, and jason connery gets hit on his head and jason connery says it was Clive Mantle's fault and Clive Mantle says it was Jason Connery's fault but Will Scarlet inevitably is the hardest one to persuade because yes. he, he's off enjoying his ale yes. isn't he yeah he's, he's, in, he's got a brother who's got an, he's got an ale house yes. yeah some, something beginning with L yeah. yeah and ending in L not York yeah. <laughs> yeah not York no. but I have to say this episode as a whole is quite blokey isn't it it is and that I feel that the fight sequence to persuade Will Scarlet goes on far too long. Yes. It's, um, it's, yeah, I was sort of tapping me watch a bit. It's apparently based on the fight sequence in The Quiet Man, mm. where John Wayne and somebody else have a fight, and yeah. it just goes through the whole village. And I get the idea, I like the idea in some ways, but and it's a wonderfully amateurish fight yeah. as well because there's a lot of kicking and grunting because a load of sort of onlookers tend to get get involved. drawn into it don't yes. they you did say earlier that the way you get like sort of bowls of apples and like sort of pots and th- pans yeah. thrown about is very much like sort of cardboard boxes in the Sweeney yeah, or the professionals or something. They're just there to be knocked over, aren't yeah. they? Or so chickens go flying through shots. Chickens. <laughs> there were a few chicken casualties, I believe. Yeah. 
But yeah, Marion gets a bit of woad on her face, doesn't she? She does in yeah. episode two, yes. Because because she she's been taken by Lord Owen now of Clan. I've of got to Clam. say not Clom as not I keep Clam. wanting to say. No. No. Uh, and Richard O'Brien sort of waved some skulls at yes. her and stuff and hypnotizes them. Then he gives her a potion, which makes her yeah. a bit more susceptible um, to susceptible. a bit of hoo hoo, isn't it? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. she initially she's very against. Uh, Mr. Clun. Yes. <laughs> I can't call him Mr. Clun. <laughs> Mr. Clun, yeah. Can't call him Clive Clun, can no, I? No, can't. Uh, and she's, uh, she stands up to him initially, but then yeah. she does all this weepy stuff, doesn't yes. she? And um, again, because I've, I've got the novelisation, and in the novelisation it's because she's in despair of the fact that there is nobody to rescue her. Yeah. Because her father can't rescue her. And because, she, obviously, she's lost uh, Robin of Loxley, yeah. she, I think she thinks there's nobody... To rescue her, of course, Robert Hunterson does. But how much do you think she's treated as a bit of an object here? Yeah, well, that is, uh, it's that is probably quite true to the times mm. because once, well, at any time in her life, a woman was there for a man to do what he wanted, and once that woman was married to him, mm. everything she owned belonged to the man. Yeah. So that's something which didn't actually stop being true until. Relatively recently, actually, only in the late Victorian era did yeah. a, a law get passed saying women could keep their their what they brought to the marriage with them after their marriage. I said about the fight sequence going on a bit too long, but uh, thank heavens for Daniel Peacock. Oh, Daniel Peacock's wonderful. Pop, I've popping nev- up as Sergeant Sparrow. I've never seen Daniel Peacock not give a good performance. Now explain how this is set up. Right, so he yeah. is he's, he's not the sheriff, but he's no. the sheriff sergeant in the Litchfield Watch. Um, I'm actually getting really good vibes of the Ankh Morg. Yeah, I did watch. think Terry Pratchett. I really did. Because they're a yeah. little bit rubbish. Yeah. Um, so make way for the watch. Make way for the watch. <laughs> so Gisborne goes to see him, and he keeps getting Gisborne's name wrong as yeah. well. And Gisborne's trying to persuade him that there's all these outlaws in there, and he should help him go and capture him. And he's just putting all these barriers up. It's only when he says that he'll get 150 marks if he captures these outlaws. That he takes an interest, yeah. but then he sort of, as you say, he, he announces the fact he's coming by saying "Make way for the watch," which is just a thing so that the outlaws can, so they can hear it. And then when they get there, they get to the to the pub. They've all disappeared, and then Gisborne manages to fall into the cellar. <laughs> now I I just thought, if ever I wanted a Robin of Sherwood spin-off mm. it would be a half hour comedy series involving the Litchfield watch <laughs> that would be brilliant you could, get, you could get six episodes out of that perfectly i think mm-hmm. yeah, that would that would be a fantastic idea but yeah eventually sort of everybody's sort of brought brought back on board aren't yeah. they and then we'll, we'll go into the power of albion yes. which is really opens with everybody doing robin hoodie type things yes. isn't it yes and they, as they sort of turn up Mm-hmm. And, and shoot a load of people with arrows, yeah. having only just assessed the situation. Yeah. Um, I, I did wonder whether they might have got somebody who was actually in the right at one point. No, it's, but, it's made fairly obvious that all the people that they shoot are, yeah. are not nice people. But you have the nice thing that somebody comes up and says, thank you, Robin Hood. Yes. So basically, Robert of Huntington is now filling that, that job description, yes. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like the way that... He's a bit reluctant, isn't he's, he? Yes, he's not entirely comfortable with being called Robin Hood because obviously that's what Robin of Loxley was called. Because he doesn't want Albion, does he? The no. sword. No, he said he, he's, he, you know, he hasn't earned it yet. Mm. 
But it's good thing that she keeps hold of it, really, because yeah. you know. But he, get, he gets an arrow in the knee, doesn't yes, he? A crossbow. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he gets to do a bit of, of sort of um, feverish acting, yes. which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, mm. I'm glad because the one one of the reasons I I wasn't keen on that fight scene early in the you know earlier episode was that it goes on too long and they seem to be quite indestructible. Yeah. Um. Here he's actually fallible, and yes. I, I like that more. That, yeah. that I can identify with that. I, do, I mean, that, you say that, but they are actually showing, I mean, because they're sort of all grunting and, and mm. showing a bit of pain. And apparently they had trouble with the scene because at the end, the fight ends with Will breaking a picture of a beer over his head. And the pit, they had terrible trouble with the picture because it would either not break or <laughs> it would break before we hit him with it. Or So, yeah. But yeah, they cut him off to the village. To Litchfield, not Litchfield, Wickham. Yeah, uh, where Jeremy Bull- Jeremy Bullock, who gets actually quite a lot to do in he the does. series, I haven't realised yeah. how much how involved he was really. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he's, is he a he's at least he's, a semi regular, yes. isn't he? Yeah. Yes, he's the head man of the village. Yeah. I do wonder how he gets away with it though. Again, after this episode, yeah, because the sheriff knows who he is. The sheriff knows he's involved with Robin Hood, but he, he, maybe he's just too lowly to worry about. Yeah, and then then Hearn eventually turns up and does yeah. the business, doesn't yes. he? And then mm. even though he's still limping later on, isn't well, yeah, he? Yeah. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's, it's it's not complete no. magic. All no. he does is is cures the fever, I think, because mm. it's the fever that will kill him. But you've got this whole good thing now about the two persona. Mm-hmm. That he's got uh, as Robin Hood and Robert Robert of Huntington. Huntington thank yes. you. Yeah, it's sort of like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah, but he's got he's got you know you've got the Scarlet Pimpernel and you've got this person who like. And how dim is the sheriff? He's quite dim. Yeah, he's he's quite dim, and he's also I think he's Gisborne is actually right on the money in this one. Yeah. Gisborne sort of well, knows, works it out, but he can't suspect. He yeah. can't prove it. Yeah. So. And and I like the fact the sheriff's got a, a load of um, birds, if you'll pardon the expression. Falcons. Falcons. One's yeah. called Lancelot yes. and the other's called Ajax. Yes. And I just if, wondered if the other ones were called like Vim and Omo, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they, they sort of set up a situation mm-hmm. where they're, they're going to, like, they've got Marion sort of captured by this point, haven't yes. they? And they're persuaded to, to move Marion. And Jeremy Bullock and Chums through mm-hmm. the forest, yeah. And then the, the outlaws attack and apparently capture Robert, mm-hmm. don't they? And yeah. held him hostage. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'd have thought the sheriff would have a bit began to suspect, but no, 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 no. I think he's just really afraid of what the Earl of Huntington will do mm. if he's if his son is killed. I I do wonder as well is. Is Robert of Huntingdon, is he still going back to the castle for little bits and staying at the castle and then sneaking yeah. off back to Sherwood? Because at what point does he... I mean, he, after this, obviously, he gives up his old life. But, I mean, is his father not there? You just wonder how he gets away with it. Well, we'll, have, to, we'll have to see the rest and, and, and see, won't we? Well, some, yeah. the, after this episode, his father will have cut him off. There yeah. is an episode which his father's in, which is Butterkin. Where his is uncle is that the one with the pig? That's the one with the pig. Yeah. Where his uncle accuses his father of of trying to kill the king with a witch. Okay. So and he has to try and save his father. But overall, I think these these work pretty well in yeah. sort of re-establishing mm-hmm. and and changing the format yes. of the series. Yes, because I said to you, this now becomes an ensemble piece, mm. whereas the first two series are more about 
Michael Parade's Robin and he's the leader. Yeah. Now it becomes like a, a sort of gang show. Yeah. You know, like The Magnificent Seven. I'm just imagining Meet the Gang because yeah. the boys are here. Yeah. Um, so in this series, you get a story with that fills in Fry Tuck's background. Yeah. You get a bit more of Will Scarlet's background. Um, you get little John wanting to leave to get married. So, you know, it's... It, it, you get more of a look at some of the other regulars and that is, I think, because they said it's the way Jason Connery worked, that mm. he didn't want to be the lead. He's a different kind of actor to Michael yeah. Parade. So he was sort of quite generous enough to so that everybody got... Gets uh, a bit. Gets a bit yeah. to do. Yeah. So, But sadly, it's the last yes. series, isn't it? Because it is. there are money troubles aren't yes. they unfortunately they had a deal with um showtime mm-hmm. in america and they'd already cut down how much they were giving them for this series they had been giving them three hundred thousand dollars an episode they wanted to put that down to a hundred thousand dollars and they they sort of settled at 170 which is still only just over half what they were previously getting and after this they don't get the money from showtime uh gold Trust goes belly up mm. And they don't get to make the full series. And I think a full series would have been interesting because you wouldn't have had Marion in it. Because Judy Trotter decided that she didn't want to carry on as Marion. I think you'd have needed another lady character because otherwise it just does get far too blokey, doesn't it? Well, in um, the second volume of The Hooded Man, the Mm. book by Andrew Orton, uh, 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 printed by Milk, he suggests there's a there's a character in I think it's in the next episode called um, Isadora and apparently she's quite she works quite well with with Robert All right. so they suggested maybe she should come back okay interesting so but you you can do it because I mean the BBC version of Robin Hood kill off Marion at the end of the second series All right. and then bring another female character in the third series. And it did cross my mind sort of watching these. We're we're talking 84 to 86. Mm -hmm. And reading the John Nathan Turner biography book. Yes. Jonathan Powell says, I couldn't see anyone to take over Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Which merely proves that Jonathan Powell wasn't watching television at this point. You know, you imagine Richard Carpenter as a script editor. Mm Mm-hmm. And Paul Knight and or Esther Charkham as producers yeah. for a Doctor Who series done on film yeah. in the 90s. Oh, they never would have made it on film, though. Well, no, in the 90s, maybe. Yeah. Film was just too expensive. Yeah, and, and it really does prove that people in charge of television don't know enough about television. Don't watch television. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that was true then and is probably still true now, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Yes. So we're here to educate people yes. about what they should have done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there we go. So there's Robin and Sherwood. Any more thoughts? Just that it's if you've never seen it. Mm. I mean, it is currently being reshown on ITV4. Yeah, they're on the third series, so it's probably not the best place to start because they're about a quarter of the way through. But you know, if you can pick the DVDs up cheaply. Well, you've got the Blu-ray yeah. now, which takes up a third of the space, it and it yeah. looks rather. It does look lovely. rather good because it's done on film. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it's. It's a good series. You you should watch it. Oh, we should also say the music's done by a clan ad. Oh yes, that's right. Um, and it's interesting. You, I know you said you thought you didn't think there was enough music, but we were looking at one of the extras on the Blu-ray, and, and one of the members of, of the band said there's 22 minutes of music in some episodes, which is a lot of yeah. music. That's I over like half the, music. the episode. 
But I, I guess I'm so used to sort of Doctor Who being composed to picture at this point yeah. that having stock tracks that you hear over and over again, especially mm-hmm. that sort of drum stuff when there's a fight sequence or danger, when you've heard that three times in the same episode, yeah. It, yeah uh, have you got any more in stock? You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's perfectly great music. Uh, but it does start to become a little familiar, some of it. Um, so, yeah, swings and roundabouts on that. that I front, think that's but, yeah. purely a thing of, that Paul Knight didn't get them to score to the picture. Yeah. He got them to give him, like, a wild track. And yeah. then I, th- I think it would, it would have been difficult to do that, given the way the sort of production of it works yeah. and, and where they are and how busy they are. That's yeah. the thing. You know, It's not like they're, they're an in-house band for HTV, is no. it? It's not... Not like they're the radiophonic workshop, so yeah, it's it is a slightly different territory. But there you are. Yes. Uh, a, a general thumbs up to yes. uh, Robin and Sherwood. We will watch some more. I've, I don't think I've ever seen all of the episodes, so we'll now have to go back and watch the rest of the episodes of series one and two, yeah. and then go on with series three. Okay. And that's episode fifty-four mm-hmm. in the can. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Yes. And we will be back with episode 55. For Christmas. And we've got some things recorded. Again, we just have to do our stuff, yes, don't we? Yes, once we've decided what we're going to do. Yeah, so we'll see you again then. Yeah. And Hearn be with you. Yes. Bye. Bye. was episode 54 of Round the Archives. Starring Lisa Parker, Andrew Trowbridge, Martin Holmes, Andy Priestner, Paul Chandler and Toppy Smelly. On the musical side you heard Dan Tate and Paul Chandler. The scripts for Robin of Sherwood, Robin Hood and the Sorcerer, Hearn's Son and the Power of Albion were by Richard Carpenter. And the producers were Paul Knight and Esther Charkham. As always, check out Paul and Toppy's work on the Shy Life mm-hmm. podcast. Yes. And on the Smellcast. Yes. And on... Matinee Manush... No, that's not right. What is it called? Matinee Manushai. <laughs> As always, check out Paul and Toppy on the Shy Life podcast, mm-hmm. the Smellcast and... Matinee Manush... No, I can't say it. You're going to have to say it.